Welcome to the Pathfinder Executive Search Podcast. I'm Bruce Wright, the Founder and Managing Director of Pathfinder Executive Search. And for the last 15 years, I've had the exciting task of finding top software and tech executives, their new teammates and colleagues. Today is the fifth and final podcast in the non-exec series. So after this, I'll be looking to cover some different topics and I welcome any ideas that uh, you might have. Uh, If... um, this is the end. I think we're rounding off this non-exec series on a high with today's guest. So without further ado, let me introduce Ian Ritchie. Ian is not an easy man to summarise. When I look at his background, I'm kind of left wondering how he managed to fit it all in. I'm really only going to be able to scratch the surface here, so please look him up. Uh, but he is the non-exec chairman of IOMART PLC, Computer Application Service and Crotos. He founded OWL, or OWL, in 1984, which pioneered hypertext application development, which was a a forerunner to the World Wide Web. And since then, he has been involved in over 40 high-tech startups. He's a board member of the Edinburgh International Science Festival, a founding member and chairman of the Scottish Software Federation, and on and on it goes. So uh, I urge you to look at his webpage, that's coppertop.co.uk to learn a bit more about him but I wanted to very quickly add that um, he was awarded a CBE in 2003 for his services to enterprise and education and is a fellow and past president of the British Computer Society. He's also a published author uh, and for the last 30 years has helped to build Scotland as a centre for high growth technology companies Uh, and as if all that wasn't enough uh, he's even the proud owner of that very modern uh, hallmark of overachievement, uh, his very own TED Talk, where he very amusingly talks about his encounters with Sir Tim Berners-Lee. So, Ian, uh, I, I could probably say it again, I don't know how you found the time, but um, many thanks for coming on the podcast. No problem, yeah, good to, good to see you, Bruce. Likewise, likewise. Uh, I've, I've tried to cram a lot in there, uh, not an easy task with your background, Ian, so is there a kind of a, a simplified way or a... a I guess a twenty thousand for overview that you give of yourself to to others. Yeah, I guess so. I um, as you mentioned, I started a company in the eighties um, in Edinburgh, but um, in two thousand and four. But in two thousand, sorry, in nineteen eighty four. In nineteen eighty five, we we opened our offices in Seattle, and we projected that company as a personal computer software company based in the west coast of the states. Um, so I had to go back and forward to Seattle quite a bit. And I was completely blown away by the atmosphere in the West Coast of the States that companies, you know, high tech companies got started and people funded them and they, they became very influential very quickly. And there was, there was a whole, you know, media coverage, you know, Byte magazine and, uh, New York Times was covering it and so forth. So there was a whole buzz about technology. Of course, the personal okay. computer was just arriving really in the eighties. So, you know, people were discovering personal computing and that was transformational to society. So that whole atmosphere in Seattle, um, where it was, it was just so buzzy and people were just creating stuff. Mm. I I really was very envious and I wanted to, if I could, try and create some of that atmosphere back here, in, in my case, in Edinburgh. Um, and, you know, over the last 40 years, we've achieved that. Um, you know, Edinburgh is now a bit of a hotspot for high-tech companies. Um, you bet. Not just me, but obviously lots of people have contributed to this. But, you know, I was definitely very keen to sort of get that kind of atmosphere um, going here in Edinburgh. Absolutely. I mean, and that that funding atmosphere is is a game changer. I mean, I often hear people talking about the fact that these companies very quickly just become too big to fail. 
these people who do the funding aren't stupid. They, you know, they want to make a success of it. And uh, oh, that's true. Unfortunately, too many of them do fail. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, so I, indeed, not I, uh, not foolproof. Yeah, what I've been doing ever since when I sold my company to Panasonic, um, I, I thought, well, what do I do next? Do I start another company, or do I use the experience I've had in starting an international company, building it up and selling it to multinational, um, to help others? And so I decided I would follow a portfolio career and and get involved with other startups as a kind of non-executive. And I've done that ever since, and I've done that about 50 times now. So I've been, I'm a kind of non-executive serial entrepreneur um, type person. Hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a whole uh, a range of spin-off questions I'd love to ask you, not, not least about time management. But um, uh, just, just to clarify for the audience, how many non-exec roles do you currently hold, Ian? Um, I think it's about five at the moment. Um, you know, time management's not a problem um, if everything's running well, and everything usually does. Um, 2001 was a difficult year. There was three or four, because that was the, the boom and bust, you know, the high-tech boom and bust, um, you know, the high-tech bubble uh, blew. Um, mm. And uh, simultaneously, I had one company where the chief executive resigned on me from his holidays, um, another one where I had to sack the chief executive because he'd lost the contribution. <laughs> And the final one was a battle we had with venture capitalists on a particular other company who wanted to take control of the business to sell it off cheap. So we had three battles at the same time, um, and and two of them without a chief executive. So that was a tricky time, I have to say. But by and large, when things are going okay, the non-exec's life is is fairly it's fairly calm. Um, mm. You know, you basically have one or two contacts a month, um, and you, you, you're really limited to strategic advice. Um, you know, you, you shouldn't really be involved in the day-to-day tactics of a business. Mm, indeed, indeed. In terms of things running smooth as well, I think as I've found through my career, as you, you sort of go up the pecking order of seniority, things do tend to just tick along fairly in a fairly predictable way. Uh, that you know, it, it is more strategic. Things are calmer, uh, and they're not they're not sort of blowing around in the weeds of all the the day to day problems which uh, which come at you. So uh, I think that's um, uh, I think that's uh, a useful a useful observation you make there. Um, yeah. The non execs you're involved in at the moment, could you throw a little bit of light on on, on how they came about and uh, and how that came to be, and, and perhaps how you let go of some of the others in the process? Well, most of the non execs I'm involved in um, are typically are startups. So I get involved when it's the two guys in the room type level and these are guys they're usually technologists um so they've got a great idea um but they don't really know how to get a company going um so i get involved at that stage i often make the first investment i often become the first non-exec chairman um and i help them build their team and their business model um and their you know their image and projection and so forth and then i would more often than not i would um give way to um another chairman after about five or six years, um, usually because um, a company um, with a particular uh, you know, uh, direction, a particular specialization, um, it can attract um, an industry heavyweight at the beginning because it's just a startup. But after it's established itself, it can. Um, so, um, for example, I was the founding chairman of a company called Synaptic, which is an audio technology company that spun out of EMI's several research labs. And after, I guess, four years of that, we were able to, to attract in the ex-managing director, Bang & Olufsen, as chairman. So that was a good way of um, – so I do the kind of startup stuff. Um, and it's, it doesn't really matter what the technology is. A lot of these the issues are fairly similar. 
they're all to do with cash flow, with, you know, funding growth, with, with hiring the right people. It's really crucial at the beginning to get the right people. Um, and the image of the company and its business model, getting all these sort of things established. That's the sort of area I specialize in. So that's my main sort of day job. Um, but I'm also chairman of IOMART, which is the UK's largest uh, data hosting company. And I've been chairman of them for nine years. Um, and that's very much a, a, a traditional, um, you know, well-run business um, where really I don't have to tell them anything. I just have to make sure the governance is good um, and that, you know, we're honest, decent and reporting things accurately and all these sort of issues. But but fundamentally, I don't have to contribute too much in the way of um, uh, strategic direction. They they do know what they're doing. Mm. Uh, I'm curious, uh, through the course of these podcasts, it's been interesting to talk to people about the, the process uh, which was in place to actually find themselves in, in their non-exec roles. Yours is a little bit different because, like you say, you're in at the, you know, the, the ground floor, as it were, when it's two guys in a room. So what I wanted to ask you, Ian, was how does that initial interaction come about? You're obviously you know, pretty yeah. well known in these, these circles. Are they approaching you or do you make an effort to go out and find these... Uh, these um these these smart ideas and these people who want to turn them into a business it's it's two ways really to be honest um a lot of them do approach me because um if somebody's got um a new um computer science technology that they think could be turned into a company then it you know it's likely that somebody will say oh you should talk to Ian Ritchie um because I've been there you know for 20 odd years so that's one thing, but the other thing is I do get out and um, and, and I go to networking um, things. Um, I'm chairman of Informatics Ventures, which runs the big investment conference in, in Scotland, EIE. Um, so that that punts up. I think it was 60 companies this year pitched at that. Um, last Friday, I helped judge um, a panel, and there was 18 companies pitching for early stage um, kind of incubator type um, support. So that was another 18 companies I, I got to look at. So I, I make a point of, of networking and, and getting to know who's doing anything interesting around. Um, mm. But, you know, before I get involved, I usually, I mean, and my most recent company, um, Krotos, I guess I met with the chief executive probably four or five times over two years for coffee before we decided to push the button and start the company. Mm. So that's that's not untypical. That's quite normal. Um, so I would normally have quite a lot of dialogue. Um, in fact, we just um, fund, closed first funding on a company yesterday in Glasgow, and I've been talking to them for over a year. Um, so it does tend to be a relationship that builds up over time. Mm, okay. And any, um, I won't ask you for names, obviously, but um, any of those coffee shop conversations going on at the moment for, for new non-exec roles in the future? Yeah, there's always, there's always stuff going on. Um, I don't know. I haven't got a particularly, you know, one that at the moment that I think is blowing my socks off. Um, but, uh, you know, you, they, they will arrive. <laughs> they will happen. <laughs> sure. And um, you say there's, I think you said four or five or five or six non-exec roles at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. How does your day look? How does your week look? How does your quarter break down? I mean, how, how are you spending your time on a day-to-day -day basis in web conferences, calls like this, at board meetings? What, what does your, uh, you know, your, your time look like? It's often board meetings. Um, I had a board meeting yesterday in Glasgow at IMR. This afternoon I've got a board meeting at the National Theatre of Scotland. Tomorrow I've got a board meeting in London. Um, so... Um, we obviously, you know, um, you have to fit in with the schedules of all these. Um, mm. But these board meetings tend to be once a month, um, or in the case of the National Theatre, once a quarter. So, they, you know, they, they don't 
um, the board meetings themselves are only three or four or five days a month um, towards the end of the month usually. So I might even have two board meetings on the same day um, here in Edinburgh with two of my um, uh, high tech, you know, early early stage companies, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. That, that quite often happens. Um, so that's all dictates the kind of formal uh, part of it. And then after that, it's just a matter of, um, you know, whatever turns up really um, mm. that can, can get involved in. Um, and uh, I do try and, you know, take time to um, to get involved in stuff I enjoy as well. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Um, in terms of the specific issues, I mean, you, you've covered such a wide range in your uh, career. And, and like you said, I mean, you've mentioned uh, your, your love of the arts and your involvement in theatre groups there. So uh, one would only imagine that, there's so many things you could be asked about or asked to advise on, but are there particular areas that um, you know people really turn to you on more more often than most? Oh, I think it must be the high tech startups. Um, it's not easy to start a high tech company. Um, in fact, it's 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 very difficult. It's, if you if you sat back and looked at it objectively, you'd say it's impossible. Um, you know, you've got. I mean, take this company Krotos I've got involved in. Literally, it was three guys in a room. Um, and they've got a great technology, an absolutely fantastic mm. technology. It turns the human voice into a different, different kind of uh, uh, voice, turns them into animal noises or whatever. Um, we did the voice of uh, Idris Elba in, in Jungle Book, turned them into a plant. Right. So, you know, it's fantastic technology. But then you've got to say, right, how do you actually turn this into a business? Now, that company now has yeah. 16 people. Um, it's just raised um, uh, nearly a million pounds um, of funding, and it's often running, and we've got two new great products coming out. So, the, you know, the last year has been a very busy one. Um, but, you know, you start off with a, a company like this. It's got um, effectively no customers. <laughs> it's got no, you know, it's got no channels to market. It's got no, yeah. you know, you have to create all these things uh, from nowhere. Um, and that's a massive risk. And startup companies often fail. In fact, probably 50% of the time they fail. Um, so you've got to accept that, that along with the, um, along with the process. Um, you know, I, I, um, it's so risky. It's so difficult. You can't at the beginning, even though you see something that's fantastic and you think this is really great. This will take the world by storm. You don't know mm. who's doing something that might be a competitor to this and might blow it yeah. out. You know, you, you don't know what's going to come down the, down the, uh, down the, 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 the pipe. So you don't know, um, whether it will work or not really. Um, you've got to try and, uh, you know, sort of build it as best you can. You've got to listen to customers and you often find, in fact, almost universally, you find that your original ideas of what would be attractive to the market are not actually right. That the, uh, the market actually wants something slightly different, but thank goodness you can do that. So, you know, you then divert the company in that direction. Um, these are all the sort of issues to do at the startup stage. Um, after a couple of years, you kind of hope that you've got a well-known brand. That you're known within the industry, that people, you know, like your product and are looking to buy the next version or, you know, work with you regularly or whatever. Um, that, that whole process of getting to that stage is a really, really tricky one. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like giving birth, I guess, you know, but, uh, but, <laughs> you know, the, the significant risk of, of being stillborn or not making it in the past first year, you know, the way that people used to be in the middle ages, you know, it was very, very, mm. yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's something which, uh, like you say, I mean, history is written by the winners, and uh, <laughs> you only tend to hear about the success stories, which uh, is is, not, is probably not yeah. even the majority in, yeah, in the tech sector. Two companies in the last two years um, that were startup companies that I put money into, and uh, they didn't make it. And 
that happens, unfortunately. It really does. Um, now, in most cases, in, in both of those cases, uh, we didn't leave anybody um, unpaid. You know, we managed to recognise that we weren't going to make it before, but too, it was too late, and, uh, and and pretty much everybody got paid, except for, of course, the shareholders. <laughs> so that's... <laughs> That's uh, that's that's life, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's a ton of things I'd like to delve into there. Not least uh, the, the the change in direction that, that companies go through when 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 it gets real, when it gets to the business. But we'll have to save that to uh, for, for another podcast, unfortunately. What what are the benefits to you, Ian? Um, I, I get the impression you're not somebody who could sit still for very long, even if you were you know, di- directly ordered to. But beyond um, just a, a kind of natural enthusiasm for these things, what are what are the benefits to you? Oh, the the benefits are, are really when the company succeeds, um, and if it succeeds and takes, you know, and delivers fantastic technology. You know, the you know most of us are in this um, this game. Not we're not there for the money. We're here for the the dent you make on the planet. You know, you, you're Absolutely. you're of the access of the planet a wee bit. You know, you're you're creating something that nobody's had before um, that now people do use um, and. It's exciting stuff, you know. You're Absolutely. you're creating in the future, and that's really the big thrill. So when you got um, a company like Sacrotos, and and we, you know, we do the voice generation for movies, um, and you see that you know a big blockbuster movie is using our technology, you think that's pretty good actually. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and um, it's it... yeah. No, I was going to say it's so true. Even. Um... I guess the uh, notoriously money-hungry top sales guys that I talk to, none of them are doing it just for the money. Uh, yeah. Absolutely none of them. It, it doesn't motivate any, but we all, when we're younger, I think, like to think, yeah, I, I want to be rich, I wanna, I'm doing it for the money, but it doesn't last. That, that motivation does not stick. So, uh, so business, yeah, I think that's um, safe for everyone. Business does make the world go round, so it's very important. And I, 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 you know, I'm certainly, um, I, I'm all in favour that we should be developing um, great businesses. Um I mean, one of the businesses I invested in, um, what, six or eight years ago, um, is now a billion dollar company. It's now a unicorn company called Fanduel. Um, it's absolutely fantastic to see these companies, these guys, you know, it was five guys in the room in Edinburgh that started it. And yeah. it's one of the biggest companies in, in its sector and in, in, in the world. Um, it's wonderful to see that type of thing done. And they've created yeah, jobs along the way. You know, they've, you know, the, the, the benefit to the economy, wider economy is great. We can't rely on old, um, established companies. Um, to create the jobs, you know, we, Absolutely, yeah. we've seen businesses, um, you know, Edinburgh used to have a massive brewery. It's, um, you know, Scottish Newcastle was bought by Heineken. There's almost nobody now works in that sector in Edinburgh. You know, these things, companies die and, and go away and you need to have them replaced and you need to have, you know, high growth, high tech businesses, I think, um, to do that. Mm, without question, without question, we, you know, we, the world will be left behind if we don't do that. So uh, that, that goes without saying. Uh, and benefits to the business, uh, Ian. Uh, like you say, I mean, I could repeat the question previously. Really, you, there's so many areas you've covered, so many areas you've worked in. But where do you really feel, you know, uh, beyond you know that, that startup environment? What are the conversations you have that you feel make a difference to to a company? And that might be two or three years down the line. But you know, are you steadying the ship? Is it that, that stabilizing yeah. influence? What uh, what else yeah. is there? Yeah, I guess so. I, I mean, it's all a lot of it's uh, very much that type of thing. Um, getting people to understand. I mean, the sort of discussions I have, for example, when I get involved with an entrepreneur, 
he cut, he cut, he then owns the company 100%, right? So he wants to raise some funding, um, to build the business and, and, and turn it into a real business. Then we have to have the conversation which says, by the way, this is no longer your company. This is, this company now is owned by its shareholders. Um, and if down the pipe, if the shareholders think you're driving it in the wrong direction, or indeed I'm driving it in the wrong direction, we are both replaceable. Um, so you have to have that conversation with people. Um, you know, they, you're a shareholder and nobody can take your shares away from you. But, um, you know, the, the, the company now belongs to its shareholders. They have to drive it forward. Um, and if you're running it well, they'll be delighted. Um, but you have to have that kind of conversation um, to get people to understand, you know, the, the, where, the real um, situation. The other one that I always have with people is um, – is always treat your shareholders with respect, even if they're complete assholes. <laughs> the, um, you know, if you, they, often shareholders can be a pain in the neck. Um, they really can. And it's often not them. It's maybe their head office telling them to do things that you think, why are they doing that? Anyway, um, never, never fall out with them. Um, always keep a good relationship with your shareholders. Um, you know, you have to love them, even though you can't stand them. Um, that's really important too. Um, so it's that type of thing that I can add um, from experience, really. Um, mm. And also, I guess, the getting encouraging them to take a chance. Um, you know, I'm used to, in the high-tech area, I'm used to taking a risk. You know, we started our company, we opened in Seattle within a year. Um, we were taking a massive risk uh, doing that, um, but it paid off. Um, and with other companies, I mean, in, in the case of um, that audio technology company I've been talking about, we've just hired a guy in Silicon Valley uh, to build that business out there. Um, that's a risk, obviously, but it's a calculated one. And, you know, we really hope that that will work out. So it's that kind of encouraging people to because, um, you know, an entrepreneur might be quite cautious, um, obviously wants to make sure his cash lasts as long as possible. Um the tendency often with technology startups is to polish the technology. So to make sure there's a, you know, there's an even better version before you release it and so forth. And, um, that shouldn't be the priority. The, should, the priority should be business development. You know, you should be trying to get, turn your technology company into a real business. That's the, that's the main goal. And that often needs some real advice, um, in, you know, in, in coercing, coaching, <laughs> encouraging uh, people to do that. So that's the type of territory I get involved in. Mm, okay, um, great answer, great answer. Um, can I ask as well? You know, you're involved in a lot of these things. So contractually, does the arrangement with the different companies vary? Is it is it largely the same? What, I mean, what sort of agreement is in place between you and these businesses? Well, in most of the businesses, I'm just the um, I'm a shareholder, so I have investor rights, and investor rights usually mean. Um, you know, the company can't sell its technology without your permission, all these sort of things. Um, apart from that, as a non-executive director, um, I'm just a normal non-executive director. So, um, like any other non-executive director, um, my duty lies to the company when you're talking, you know, when you're at board and so forth. Um, your duty is not to yourself or to your backers or whoever. Your duty is to the company and making the company succeed. Um, but other than that, there's nothing too particularly onerous. Um, no, I mean, I think that's all, you know, um, reasonably straightforward. Um, I guess people get me involved because um, of my level of experience and, and the fact that I've done it before and so forth. So people tend to, um, you know, they, they don't tend to ask um, too many questions. Um, if I'm chairing that, uh, you know, it will be run 
it'll be it'll be run properly and uh, it'll be honest, decent, and truthful, and all these sort of things, you know. Um, so I think that's yeah, I think that's basically it. There's nothing in the relationships particularly. I mean, the only thing is obviously you're um, if you're an investor, you've put real money in, um, and it can be very frustrating if a business uh, because. Of, in terms of an angel investor like me, your, your stake in the company will be well below five percent. So um, you can't really dictate anything. <laughs> so if the company doesn't go in the direction you think is going to work, um, you can persuade and cajole and, and all that sort of thing. But in the end, you can't do anything else other than swallow it. Um, so that can be frustrating. But there's nothing you can do. I mean, you've just got to try and, uh, and, and do things positively and, and have a good positive relationship. Absolutely. Does anything surprise you anymore, Ian? Um, obviously, things do surprise me. But one of the things that um, I've learned to do, and I learned it when I did my startup company um, in Owl in the 80s, um, I've learned to never assume that, you, nothing's, that anything's impossible. Um, we did several impossible things in Owl, um, and we did them because we didn't know any better. Um, so we didn't know you couldn't do it. So we just did it, you know, and, and actually yeah, yeah. it worked. And now, so when people say to me, oh, I think we should do this, I th- may be thinking, hmm, that's a bit dodgy. <laughs> that may not work. Yeah. Um, and as long as it's kind of um, a risk that you can afford to take, um, as long as it's not going to kill the company, um, then it's probably worth having a go at it. Um, and you just might just pull it off. Um, so... Telling people that something is impossible, I don't think is any is any help. Um, telling people that this is actually quite a high risk and that really could, you know, damage the company, I think is an important thing to do. Um, and take that. I mean, as it happens, um, I've just been to a board meeting where we had a very very high risk uh, situation to look at, and um, I think we're all very nervous, and I think we probably won't go forward with that. Um, so it's a matter of you know taking a good a good assessment of of of, of what, what I mean. Obviously, the upsides are great, or you wouldn't even look at it. But um, what are the downsides as well, and uh, and get making sure that's all pretty straightforward. But certainly, from the point of view of um, what people sometimes come up with this an idea that does surprise me from time to time and actually delights me i mean i think it's yeah. it's great um if you can do something a wee bit different that actually breaks through absolutely look just uh, very wise words there if it's not going to break the company give it a go and get on to take <laughs> two if it doesn't so uh, i love it um finally in any advice you would give to somebody who wants to uh, put their put their toe in the water of the non-exec world and uh, perhaps take up their own non-exec directorship in the future. What, what advice would you give? Yeah. Um, well, obviously, you have to have some... I mean, when I came into this world, it was really... It was early um, 1990s. I'd, uh, I'd built my business up. Um, I'd raised venture capital in 84, when it was very early on to raise venture capital. We'd built the business up internationally in, in the States. We then sold globally. Um, uh, we then sold the company in the end to um, a Japanese multinational. So all that experience was... Um, was a you know what I had now obviously other people will have various experiences as well, but I even even with all that experience, I discovered that the only way I could really um, get myself non executive positions was to be an early stage investor to be an angel investor so i it's almost a point of principle as well, which is I like to have skin in the game anyway um so mm-hmm. i um almost all the businesses i've got involved in over the years 
I have been an investor in, um, often at the very beginning, so you get good founder share value. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I would, if you, to, to put it bluntly, I suppose, I bought my way in as an honest director. <laughs> I've put some money on the table. But I think that's part of the confidence in the team that you're saying, look, okay, I'm going to put 25 grand in here and I think we can do it. Um, let's try and do it. And if you've done that, then the, the, the startup team respects you more because, you know, you've put something at risk as well. Um, and you're more than just, um, you know, you're not just there to draw, to draw fees and fight. By and large, you don't draw much from the way of fees. Um, as a, as a non-exec director of an early stage company, you often don't get paid, um, until they can raise their first fund rounds. Um, so that could be a year or 18 months and you don't get paid at all. Um, so you're very much, it's never really a way of making money, um, being an non-exec director of an early stage company. The way to make money is the company to succeed and it to be sold and you to get a good payoff <laughs> from your equity. That's the, the only way really to make money in a company. And I think that's a good, I think that's a good formula. I think that works well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, nothing beats having skin in the game. Like you say, if you're, you've got that commitment and uh, I think it saves a lot of arguments down the line as well. Uh, yeah. If people know that you're committed, uh, I mean, other shareholders and uh, the people you're working with. So, uh, so look, Ian, you've just given us uh, just a huge amount of information there, and um, I'm looking forward to re-listening to it myself, actually, <laughs> so I can I can properly process it all. So, look, that's uh, that's that's uh, everything I wanted to go through with you. So, look, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No problem. I've enjoyed it. Very happy to have you. Okay, so that was Ian Ritchie, and I recommend you go to his personal webpage. That's coppertop.co.uk, where you can access his TED Talk and a much more comprehensive bio. Uh, it really is very interesting reading. If you found this podcast interesting, I hope you'll agree we uh, we went out on a high with the uh, the Ned series. But until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>